bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. I'm Richie Wedling, Editor-in-Chief of Bits and Pretzels, and this is a new episode of our podcast that comes to you right from Covent Garden in London. Very recently in this podcast, we talked to the fabulous and famous British VC brand Hoberman about how early stage companies can survive COVID-19 times. So with this episode, we want to provide advice for later stage startups. Today in front of the Bits mic, I welcome Christoph Hornum. Christoph started his job as an investment director at Draper Esprit, one of the leading VCs in Europe with a focus on Series B, C and later stage companies, just at the beginning of the global lockdown. Christoph has sat on both sides of the startup table before. Eight years ago, he co-founded the legendary German startup accelerator Rocket Internet, which kind of kick-started the startup ecosystem in this country. He was an investment manager at Seven Ventures, the investment arm of ProSieben Sardines Media, and co-founded Next Sports before he joined Draper Esprit. Every crisis has its winners. And although COVID-19 is already causing a huge economic slowdown, it is also providing a breeding ground to innovation and change through disruptive tech. Christoph thinks that creates a lot of opportunity for later stage startups to become the big winners here. So I think the companies who are sitting on a lot of cash, um, they will grow their market share and they will also take a lot of market share from the incumbent offline players. We are also discussing what founders can do every step of the way, from the early days to later stage to right before the exit to improve their performance and why the time for actions is now. Hi, Christoph. Thanks so much for coming on the Bits and Presses podcast. Thank you for having me, Britta. Pleasure to be here. Although COVID-19 is going to bring about an economic slowdown, it's also going to be a huge breeding ground for innovation and change through disruptive tech. And this is what we're going to talk about here uh, today. But first, let me, let me ask you this. You've joined Draper Esprit in early March at the beginning of the corona crisis in London. How did this onboarding look like? So actually, for the first couple of weeks, it was like a normal onboarding. But obviously, after after the first five, six weeks, we had to switch uh, into a home office mode. So obviously, everything right. had to happen remotely, which was uh, not an issue because obviously, we're all used to technology. So I had no issues with that. But I do understand that this is a big change for many people. Because you cannot meet people personally, cannot look the entrepreneurs you want to invest in, the companies uh, you want to invest in, in, into the eyes. So how did this change your job as an investor and how did this look like over the first couple of weeks that you already closed funding rounds or is everything postponed now due to the crisis? Yeah, I think at the beginning of the of the crisis, obviously everyone was a bit in shock and obviously all major funds, they reviewed their portfolio companies, they tried to support where, wherever possible, they tried to identify the companies who are going to go through this crisis fairly smooth and also help the companies mm -hmm. that obviously face more challenges, especially companies in the mobility or, or travel space, for example. Um, right. To answer your, your other question, so obviously 
uh, it, it's really hard to meet founders uh, in person uh, these days. Right. So obviously, we had to switch to tools like Zoom or even Microsoft Teams. Um, we have done this before, so we used these tools before. But obviously, it's, it's very different if you spend uh, eight, nine, ten hours a day Zooming with people and, and Zooming with, with potential companies that you want to invest in. But I would say as of today, um, we have adapted to this new environment very well. And, um, but we, to be honest, we're also all looking forward to obviously meet people face to face anytime soon again. Yeah, us definitely too here in, in Munich. Talk about what entrepreneurs now have to bring to the table now that you can meet them in person. Uh, you know, do you have to talk more often to them? You know, what does it mean for the pitch deck? Is it becoming more important? So obviously you have to differentiate between the founders that we know, so the portfolio company founders. With these founders, we have almost uh, weekly discussions right now or for, with some companies even more often. Depends a little bit on, on how much support they need. And then obviously, on the other hand, you have uh, new companies and um, founders who are pitching to us. Um, obviously, the, the pitch deck now uh, is becoming a bit more important because obviously it's really hard to meet to meet in person. And the other thing that is becoming increasingly important is obviously the, the relationships that this founder has with people that we know. So endorsement really matters these days. Mm -hmm. so I think these are two things that have uh, significantly increased in importance. So I was talking to Brent Hoberman lately, and he said that he was talking to another investor who actually acquired 23 recommendations before he invested in a company. Does it look similar? Is it even more where you work? Yeah, I think it's also natural, right? So at some point you need to build a, a higher level of of confidence uh, when you haven't met the company or when you haven't even right. seen the, when yeah. you haven't even been on site, right? So I think this is, this is sort of normal. Um, is this a good thing? I'm not so sure. Obviously it, it, it creates more confidence um, on, in these special circumstances, but going forward, um, I think everyone in the industry is looking forward to actually go on site, meet the founders in person, also meet the second uh, level of the management team and, and really build like a proper uh, teases around the company, not only uh, right. doing this via Zoom. So I think it's it's something we have to deal with for probably the next couple of months. But I'm sure as soon as uh, the Corona crisis has sort of eased a little bit, um, there will be more and more face-to-face -face meetings again. Let's jump right in, you know, your area of expertise and, you know, the job that you are responsible for. Obviously, consumer internet, financial services, online marketplaces – How do you look at patterns due to Corona and changes in consumer behavior in, in the areas that you are working in? Obviously, we know financial services are doing better. FinTech, uh, that is something we already discovered in our own founder uh, sentiment index. Uh, it's, it's doing pretty well uh, in the crisis. Other uh, verticals, not so much. So talk about, you know, how you look at these different verticals you are responsible for at Draper Esprit. Yeah, no, I think obviously there, there has been acceleration in, in terms of transition to digital. Um, the behavior of, of consumers has changed. And I think all the companies that uh, today are operating business models uh, with, with direct-to-consumer um, 
with direct to consumer strategy, they will obviously benefit from this. Other, other companies that we see who have seen very strong growth are remote financial services, online gaming, education platforms, obviously mm-hmm. digital health. And I think also in general, a lot of the, the enterprise businesses that we are invested in, they have seen really, really strong growth. Um, and most of them are actually ahead of the, the, the forecasts because of this crisis, because companies have changed their behavior, because obviously a lot of their, the employees are now working from home. And so obviously right. they had to adapt to, to this transition to digital a lot faster than they initially wanted to. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, what, what kind of like companies are you, are you talking about right now? I mean, are these later stage companies, early stage companies? Obviously, uh, you are an investor like Draper Esprit is an investor in several of the big fintechs, unicorns, Revolut, TransferWise and N26 and, and many more uh, European c- uh, companies. But who's benefiting most from this crisis? Yeah, I think if you are an enterprise um, software company today, This obviously um, is is helpful because most likely you had a, a bigger financing round uh, in the last 12 to 24 months. So you should sit on a pile of cash, which obviously helps you to get through a crisis right. like this. And then obviously, mm-hmm. if you have uh, a service in in any way that sort of facilitates the collaboration of of employees, et cetera, et cetera. This is something that is really needed right now. And I think these are the business models that are really thriving right now. I mean, normally as an investor, you probably go to events, you probably have your own events, you invite founders over. How do how do you look for new investments? Where and how do you meet founders? How do you get, get in touch with entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think there, there's, there's actually two or three ways. Um, number one is is inbound. So inbound is the, is the toughest one because usually we would like to have you being endorsed by someone that we know, uh, someone right. that we trust, someone that we have invested in before. Um, so, so just cold call, that is usually very tough. Um, number two, obviously um, we have our networks. We have worked with a lot of entrepreneurs before. So if these guys recommend someone to us, this is, uh, this increases your chances a lot to actually get a call with us and then being taken seriously at, at that stage. And then the third thing is obviously we are also building our thesis around certain sectors. So for example, in deep tech, we look at certain subcategories and then we identify the most interesting companies. And once mm-hmm. we identify them, then we go proactively after them and we try to reach out through our network to the, to the founders. We meet the founders, we explain them who we are, if they don't know us yet. And obviously we, we try to figure out how we can help them, at which stage we can help them, et cetera, et cetera. So these are basically right. three different ways um, of how to get in of how to get involved with a venture capital firm these days. It, it's interesting because uh, when I lived in Silicon Valley, it was all about personal recommendation, yeah. networks, you know, people you know who would say, "Well, oh, Britta is so cool. You should talk to her." Yeah. You know, but what do I do if I'm a young founder? I'm probably living in rural Germany. I have this great deep tech, biotech, hardcore tech idea. I don't have a network. Uh, I don't know anybody in the in the community. What's my what are my my first two steps to get funding from from you guys, for example? So I, I think it depends a little bit um, on your product. So if you have a, a deep tech product that that has a very very strong piece of IP, um, there's a lot of government funds that you can access to actually get to this first traction or to this first mm-hmm. uh, proof of concept. And I think number two is really to start mingle with people who are 
uh, experts in the industry who have the network. And these people, if they like the idea and if they understand what you're what you're building, they will at some point definitely recommend you to the funds that you need to talk to at some point. So I think these are the two things that I would look at. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, you said, pitch deck is becoming more important, among other things, obviously. What's like the the most important thing you look at when you look at a pitch deck? So what are, specifically are you looking for? So I think it depends a bit on, on the stage of the company, right? So at Tripe SP, we are mostly investing in Series B and Series C rounds, so later stage. Um, and I think at later stage, you have obviously a lot more data. You have a lot more numbers that you can look at. So I think right. uh, financial numbers are becoming a lot more important. If you're a seed investor or a Series A investor, obviously the single most important thing is the team and also especially the founder. And then obviously you look at the, at the market. And I think these three, four things are really important um, elements of, of a pitch book these days. And I think if, if one of those is missing, um, then this would probably be uh, a kill for us, a quick kill mm -hmm. for us. So I think mm -hmm. these are the basic things that you need to provide. And then obviously it depends a bit on the stage. Let's get back to the current situation. Um, your company has recently lowered growth forecasts for 2020 and 2021 for portfolio companies uh, negatively impacted uh, by coronavirus. In what parts of the business exactly do you expect the biggest hits um, there? So obviously if you are invested in, in travel companies or anything related to mobility, These are industries that are really struggling at the moment. They will recover at some point, but I guess for 2020, um, they will still feel a lot of challenges. So it wouldn't be realistic to not uh, lower the valuations on these companies today. Yeah? So we had to do that. Um, but I think it's also, we also want to provide a realistic view on our on our NAV. So at the end of the day, you actually have a few winners and you have a few losers, but you need to be very clear on the forecasts that they share with you and on the on the updates of the forecast to to actually provide a realistic right. view on the on the portfolio. What's really interesting because you mentioned um, the different uh, valuations, there's a huge discussion um, around the ethics that investors have to take into consideration now dealing with startups in this difficult situation. I was talking to Albert Wenger, who kind of said, of Union Square Ventures, who kind of said, well, in the crisis, you really see the real person you are dealing with. Uh, and it's really important to be transparent and honest. And, you know, whether you have to, you know, you have to do with somebody who is not of this quality, you're kind of experiencing this very fast in, in a crisis. How do you look at that? Uh, obviously, investors also have to make tough decisions. What's the best strategy there? So I think, again, you, you have to look at, at several um, elements here. I think number one is if you have a long-term relationship with an investor, um, honesty is, is very important. And mm -hmm. if, if a founder does not realize that his forecast that he submitted at the beginning of the year is, is now sort of unrealistic because mm -hmm. the ecosystem has changed or the environment has changed, then I think for us as an investor, we need to talk to him and explain him what we see in the market and where we see this forecast right. going to, right? Yeah. So this is, I think this is, is, this is coming down to trust. Um, and I think number two is in such a, in such a crisis, you obviously have to, to respond to this promptly. And I think it's not easy to obviously lay off, um, valued employees, but 
it's really important to save the company. So I think as an investor, we also need to support the founders in making the right decisions on how to cut the costs in order to actually um, improve the runway. And then I think number three, obviously, is we provide more capital, but obviously this needs to be based on a plan, on a, on a, on a very concrete action plan. And I think as long as, as you put this in place and as long as we as investors believe in this plan, um, there, there is no problem. We just need to be aligned on where this company is going to. We need to be aligned on the new forecast and we need to be aligned on the, on the actions that are to be taken. And I think this is basically solving the, the situation. I mean, when we think about the last crisis um, or like crises that happened, the dot-com uh, uh, clash, um, 9-11 and many other tragic events, which is also COVID-19, obviously it's firstly a tragic event uh, for many people who got infected and got serious health issues. But at the same time, there were like some very strong companies coming out of this. Um, and I think from the last crisis, it's probably an Uber, an Airbnb, a Zalando. And I think what many founders right now want to figure out is how can I make sure that I'm among the COVID-19 unicorns moving forward? Yeah, I think this this time it's, it's very different, right? Because in 2008, 2009, basically everyone lost. In this time, there's a lot of companies who have obviously uh, like tough challenges ahead of them, but there's also a lot of winners. So there's a lot of companies, especially in the cloud service space, in the education space, in, in also direct-to-consumer space, who are actually benefiting from this accelerated shift. So I think the companies mm-hmm. who are sitting on a lot of cash, um, they will grow their market share and they will also take a lot of market share from the incumbent offline players. And I think this is very different to what we have seen um, 12 years ago. So obviously fintech is is a big winner and you have several, as I mentioned earlier, fintech companies in your portfolio. Do you expect even more investments in the fintech sector and what specific use cases or applications are you looking for right now? Yeah, I mean, for example, we have a company called Free Trade and this is a a remote financial service. It's a trading platform. And we have seen a huge um, increase in, in demand for, for such a service. And people are, are just starting to trade all kind of, uh, of stocks these days. And this is something where I see a lot of growth potential. I mean, obviously, people had a lot more time um, because they were working mm-hmm. from home. They were not commuting. Um, they, had a lot of, they had a lot more time to actually familiarize themselves with these products, um, get used to these products, read about the products. So I think these companies are clear winners. They're benefiting from this crisis because there is a change in behavior. I, th- I think I don't have more time. Be- I just work more <laughs> because you have more time, which is also the case for many for many people uh, I, I talk to. But that's a different story. Yeah, but I, I mean, you, you also see the volatility in, in the stock market, right? So yeah, absolutely. Huge, I wouldn't call it a crash, but it was a huge dip, and then all of a sudden, right. uh, a very interesting journey all the way up. And I think this also uh, attracted a lot of people who maybe haven't been investors or active traders before. So this is just one example of, of a company that, that, that we see is really prospering in, in this environment. When do you think everything is going to be back to a certain new normal? So, so the question is, how does the new normal look like? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, Absolutely, um, yeah. 
What we already see is that um, a lot of these collaboration tools have worked very well. So I would assume that a lot more companies will be will be more flexible with the working environments. Another thing that will obviously last is I think Zoom has worked very well for for a lot of meetings. But at the end of the day, uh, I guess it's still relevant to meet face to face. But probably the the frequency of meetings will will probably drop a little bit. Um, another thing that I think will really change um, is a lot of people get used to order online right now, be it food delivery, be it mm-hmm. anything e-commerce related. Yeah, and Amazon I, I don't, is the big I, winner, obviously. Right? Amazon, there, there's, there's plenty of players who actually right. are clear winners um, of, of this crisis. And I think people have realized how easy it is to order online and how convenient it is. And I don't mm-hmm. think this will this will change back again. When do you expect this new normal to start? I, I think it depends a bit on on the country, and it depends a little bit on on probably the business that you're that you're in. Um, but yeah, I think you're pretty you're pretty right. It's 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 going to be around uh, January 2021 that we think the new normal has sort of established. And uh, in the next six months, I guess there is still sort of an adaptation phase where people sort of start to use things from the old world again, but also take advantage of all the new things that have actually created convenience and that have also shown that they might be even more effective and, and, and efficient in the way people work today. Thanks, Gustav. That was great so far. In this difficult time, we are moving over to our beer garden bench, where we invite our podcast guests to enjoy a stein of beer in non-COVID time, to loosen their tongue and talk about more personal stuff. But obviously, right now, to protect both of our health, this is obviously a virtual beer and a virtual beer garden bench. So, Christopher, what do we drink to? Uh, I think we drink to the new normal and we drink to... um Yeah, I think a lot more opportunities also in, in in this sort of new normal world because I guess a lot of the, the companies who are going to go through this, um, they will actually have learned a lot of lessons, A, in terms of being more cash efficient, B, and in, in really also challenging the, the business model, uh, and C, also in, in sort of really strengthening the relationships with, with their partners and also with their investors. That's a very long drinking sentences. We can also. Anyway. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, Christopher. So, coming to the more personal part of the podcast, uh, yep. Christoph, you started your career at Rocket Internet as director of marketplaces. You've been in the, an entrepreneur before you became an investor. Uh, then you became an entrepreneur again, and which is obviously uh, the case for many VCs uh, having this kind of background. How do you think this shapes your view on startups being, you know, with all the experience uh, in having all the experience in the field yourself? I think it's incredibly helpful if you have, if if you've been sitting on both sides of the table, right? So um, I think without any operational experience in a startup or in a scale-up, it's really difficult to understand founders. And it's also difficult to understand 
founders when they go through certain stages of the of the startup or of the of the scale up. And I think this has helped me a lot in in, in understanding what kind of advice, what kind of support they need at which stage. Can you give an example? Because I think this is a really important uh, thing for many entrepreneurs yeah. who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, I think obviously um, once you have raised your Series A, let's say you raised five million in Series A, and before you've been two founders, uh, one was looking after marketing, the other one was looking after product, for example. Then obviously at some point with more money, you need to actually build a proper team. And it's not so easy to select the right people. It's not so easy to find um, the right expertise in the market. And I think as someone who went through these different stages, it's, it's very, it's very helpful if you can actually help the, um, the founders to find the right people, to find the right skills and really build a proper team that is needed to actually then scale the company with the, with the money that you have raised. I think this is one of the most difficult phases in a, in a, in a startup to actually mm. get from a, from a well seed funded company to a series A company and then from a series A company into a scale up company. This is not an easy transition. So I think this is where you need to have good partners that can actually help you um, with advice that can support you, that also have networks, uh, which helps you to, to hire the right people. I think this is one of the key elements that, uh, that every company faces at some point. What's your advice for later stage startups, Series B, Series C? What's like the, the most challenging thing they have to take into consideration? Yeah, I think for a lot of companies, it's obviously going international. So I think establishing a product in, in, in one market, let's say the German market, for example, is often slightly different to establish the same product in the U.S. market, right, where you might face more more competition, maybe the competition is, is better funded. Uh, so I think taking a product from one country into several countries or into a big a big SaaS uh, country, for example, like the U.S., this is right. a major challenge. And I think this is mm -hmm. where you need a different support but you also need people that have experienced this before um, that can guide you um, into the right direction because these decisions are not easy decisions and you actually need to find also the right people on the ground in the US, for example, um, to make your, your journey work. Which is obviously, you know, something that you and your company are considering as well uh, because uh, I think part of your, you being hired as a director is like the idea to to expand internationally. So, so what exactly is uh, Draper Esprit's plan there? Obviously, you have a huge connection to Tim Draper, eh, like who comes from a long history of of uh, investors. But you know, what's the strategy? What, what do you want to achieve? And what what's what like what are like the first steps? So, I I think as as Draper Esprit, it's it's actually great to be part of the Draper Venture Network. This is something that Tim Draper has set up. And obviously, there's Draper-related funds all over the world, which makes it very easy for us to actually connect um, a company that we have invested in, a European company, with mm -hmm. our partners in, for example, in the US or in India or in Asia. And obviously, once they reach that Series B, Series C stage where they go international, we have the network already in place, and we have done this several times before. So I think there's a lot of experience that we can share. There's a lot of Uh, guidance that we can provide to the founders. And I think this is this is one of the main reasons why a lot of these later stage companies also want to work with us because they know that we can bring this skill to the table. Just to explain this to the audience, Tim Draper is an investor in several companies, uh, among them Tesla, 
I guess, SpaceX. Yeah. And he comes, he's the son of Bill Draper, who I had the pleasure meeting with while I was in Silicon Valley. He was the first, like kind of the first VC ever at the West Coast who kind of told me the story, how he went from the East Coast to the West Coast in an old car and who basically built the business, uh, the VC business in, uh, in, in, in Silicon Valley. And, and Tim Draper follows his, his footsteps uh, in some material where he has his Draper University, I guess, still. Uh, did, you ever, did you ever meet him personally? Uh, not yet, but I guess uh, this is going to happen by the end of the year. Um, we Fun have gu funny guy, I have to say. Funny, sure. funny guy. That's what I hear, yeah. No, we have this annual uh, meetings within the Draper um, network, and obviously this is where, where Tim is also present. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Cool. So, so 10 years ago, when you've been with Rocket, it was like still the starting phase of the rise of, of German unicorns. Today, we have several of them, um, N26 being one of them, um, Salonis and Flix Mobility. Uh, how do you look at the the role Rocket played uh, in in that game. I mean, there was a lot of discussion around copycats, obviously, but still, German German companies are kind of on the rise at at this point. How do you look back at the days? So I have to say that I had an amazing time at Rocket. Um, I, I learned a lot of um, skills there that are very very relevant today. And I think without Rocket. The Berlin that we know today uh, would be very different. So I think yeah, Rocket really laid out the foundation for this new startup hub. And I think there were so many people who basically uh, learned their skills, got educated within Rocket, and then went out of the Rocket um, empire, if you want to call it like this, and started up their own companies. And I think this is something you still see. I think there's so many companies out there where you still have uh, former Rocket employees involved and and this actually shows that Rocket has done something right. And what Rocket has done to the German ecosystem for startups um, is, is really, really significant. And I think there's uh, very few other organizations in Europe who had such an impact on, on also the European uh, startup scene like Rocket did. What was, you mentioned that you acquired several skills while you were at Rocket. Can you share some of them? Yeah, I think obviously, um, I think that's the skill that everyone talks about, but it's it's all about execution. You learn how to execute, you learn how to make quick decisions, you learn how to be very, very data-driven. You you also lose a little bit fear um, to actually take tough decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think just the entire, the entire dynamics within within such an organization like Rocket, um, is, is very inspiring. And I think these are the, the main takeaways um, that, that I experienced um, in, in my time at Rocket. I mean, even though we have, uh, we see this growth in valuations of German, European unicorns compared to the big winners of this crisis, we talked about Amazon, but obviously Google, Facebook and Apple uh, are the big winners of this crisis as well. And they all started in the US, which is like, an old story, right? We, we yeah. talk about this for, for years, right? But same for the next generation of winners. Now with Zoom, Shopify, Tesla, Tencent. Uh, so so how, how, how is it that, you know, Europe is still so far behind? And what do you think we can do as a community to kind of accelerate this? Yeah, I think there's a simple answer, right? So in the US, you still have 
five, six times the amount of funding that you have in, in Europe. So it's, it's, it's really, it comes down to the, to the volume of available funding. And I think in Europe, um, we have seen a significant change over the last couple of years, but we're still not at the same level as, as the US or also as China today. And I think we, we, we need to get used to the startup environment even more. And we also need to look at venture capital as an, as an asset class a lot more. And I think in the US, this is probably a couple of years ahead of us. I wouldn't call it 10 years, but probably five to six years ahead of us. And we're keep, we're sort of catching up, but we're not there yet. And then obviously when you look at the, the typical VC in, in the US, most of the very successful VCs, they have been entrepreneurs themselves before. And I think mm-hmm. this also has a certain impact on, on the way investments are made. Um, but all of these things are now happening in Europe. So it's, it's a matter of time. And I'm, I'm actually very positive about the, the market evolution here in, in, in Europe. And I think in Europe, we have great engineers. We have great technologies. But obviously, if your U.S. competitor raises five times the money that you are able to raise, they will have an unfair uh, competitive advantage. And this is something where we have to work on as, as an investor committee. You mentioned that it's just a question of time. How much time? <sighs> Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think it's really hard to predict, but I would, I would assume, um, that this is, this is something that is going to happen in the next five to, five to seven years. Um, but what you can also see, and this is an interesting fact, a lot of the US, um, VCs, they're actually becoming more and more active in Europe as well, because they obviously find, the valuations in the US really, really high. And in Europe, you have amazing companies at, at comparably lower valuations. So they're very interested and very attracted by, by, U- by European companies. And this is actually something that could accelerate the shift from, from US focus to European focus. And obviously, there's a few things that have to come together to actually shorten this period. Coming to another part of our Bits and Pretzels podcast, which is our toolbox, which is a completely new part that we just start in this podcast, uh, where our guests share their three most important tools to help founders and entrepreneurs moving forward. So here's the toolbox of Christoph Hornung, Investment Director at Draper Esprit. Number one. Uh, Select the right people. Number two. Take care of your financials. Number three. And build something that lasts and can turn into a sustainable business model. I think this is really important. Now it's time for our either or game, which we always do towards the end of our podcast. And this is how it works. I give you two words and you choose one and tell me real quick why you made this choice. And the first one always is... Bits or pretzels? Bits. I love technology. Spending or saving? Spending. Without spending, you can't grow. Exit or Brexit? <laughs> That's a tough one for someone who lives in the UK. Okay, that was a joke anyways. It was a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> Since you are from Germany but live in uh, London now, still coffee or tea already? Uh, I'm a coffee person. Queen Elizabeth or Prince Harry? We, um, Prince Harry, he's challenging things, which I like. Blitz scaling or sustainable growth? Sustainable growth. I've, I've seen blitz scaling a lot uh, in the rocket ventures, but I think today as an investor, I prefer um, sustainable growth. Down round or no round? No round. I think at some point you have to 
get out of businesses if you see that it just doesn't work. Conquer or compromise? Conquer. You have to be aggressive to make it. Chaos or order? Order. Um, structure is really important, especially when you scale. Follow or lead? Uh, lead. As an investor, we always prefer to lead around and be in the driver's seat. Thanks, Christoph, for coming on the Bits and Presses podcast this week. Thank you very much, Britta. All right, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please let us know how we do and write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com. Don't miss the next episode of this podcast and subscribe to our media newsletter at bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Stay safe and see you next Wednesday.